This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Back in the 1980s, Malaysia saw roaring growth. It was a young, scrappy country reaching new heights, much like the other Asian nations in that period. Our GDP that decade was growing up to 9.9% a year. But economic growth and prosperity rarely succeed at promoting equality. So there are always extra measures to make sure no one gets left behind. In 1970, the poverty incidence rate in Malaysia was nearly 50%. That number was only down to 37% by the end of that decade. The government had to do something. One of the ideas which became appealing at the time was microfinance. The idea that you can lift people out of poverty by lending them small loans. In some cases, maybe just a few hundred dollars to run small-scale businesses. The thing is, if you and I wanted to open a restaurant or a retail store, we could go to the bank, provide them with collateral, get a loan. But low-income borrowers are considered risky borrowers. So many of them don't have that privilege. Enter microfinance, the supposed antidote. But does it work? I'm Diana Mustak, and today on Spotlight, microfinance. Can small loans tackle big problems? Just be careful lah. Yang atas tu, sometimes nasib tak berapa bagus juga. Uh, orang bawa sampah. Uh, bawa sampah. And then tengoklah, uh, playground kanak-kanak pun rosak kan. Uh, lima hari lepas, uh, last week lah. Motor terbakar kat bawah, empat biji. Jam satu setengah malam. Sini environment kurang sikit. So, kena lagi berusahalah untuk tinggalkan environment yang tak berapa baik ni. <laughs> Meet Hana. She's showing us around her neighbourhood in Lembah Subang, where she lives in a PPRT flat. PPRs are subsidised government housing. But PPRT, which is PPR Thermiskin, there are only about five of them in Selangor. Do you remember that case of a 15-year-old boy who died last year when someone threw an office chair out of the window and it landed on him? This is that kind of neighborhood. Hana lives here with her husband and three children, who are all in school. She moved here from Sabah as a newlywed and has held jobs ranging from promoter to CCTV monitor. Now, she's an entrepreneur. She makes handicrafts. Think hantaran for weddings and the bouquet with chocolates and little teddy bears people buy as graduation gifts. Hana is part of a group of women who receive microfinance loans through an organization called Women of Will. Hana yang minat terus untuk uh, meneruskan bidang kraf ni bekerja dulu uh, pendapatan dia berbeza ya berbeza dengan yang kita orang kata jadi uh, uh, apa yalah kita berniaga kan jadi toke walaupun kecil-kecil toke sendiri pekerja sendiri delivery sendiri berbeza so kalau dulu memang agak time tu pun tak berapa tak berapa bagus mana nak uruskan anak mana nak uruskan kerja kan so kalau kita buat sendiri yang benda macam ni tak ada tekanan What's interesting about Women of Will is that they work with well women but specifically hard working women who are breadwinners of their family it was founded in 2016 by Go Suetlan. She came from the corporate world in the advertising industry, but is now president of Women of Will. 
I believe apart from the most obvious challenge, which is you know the financial challenge, the financial burden of raising a family, and many times the financial burden of raising a family of not just one child, but in PPRs, many of them tend to have four, five, six, seven, eight children. It's uh, having to multitask. This mother has no time for herself at all. She wakes up, she has to get the kids to school, she has to get her kadai ready, you know, she has to go and buy barang barang to open her nasla mak stall. She has to come and clean the home. Um, sometimes she may have mother-in-law or a sick, you know, um, parent at home to look after. So the day never ends for her. And this gets to the core of the philosophy behind microfinance, female empowerment. It's often associated with Muhammad Yunus, who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006 for his work in microfinance through his organization Grameen Bank, Bank of the Poor. He started off this program with just 42 women in Bangladesh. These women used a small loan from him to make and sell bamboo stools and repaid the money. And the rest is history. Grameen has made loans to over 7 million beneficiaries now, and 97% of them have been women. Muhammad Yunus actually came to Malaysia in the 1980s and spent some time at University Science Malaysia, or USM, in Penang. The largest microfinance organization in Malaysia, Amanah Ikhtiar, spun off of the university's 1986 Ikhtiar project, which gave out small loans to the needy in Selangor. Fast forward to today, Amanah Ikhtiar has over 300,000 members registered, and there are many more organizations involved. Tekun, Bank Rakyat, SME Corp, Agrobank, Mara, and the Penang Regional Development Authority. In fact, even e-payment platforms like Grab and Boost offer some form of microloans to the businesses that use their services. In 2016, Malaysia's microfinance sector's total outstanding financing stood at over 5 billion ringgit. So it's really become quite pervasive. I think it's safe to say that some sort of loans are sorely needed in low-income communities. We know that because loan sharks still thrive. That means there is a need in low-income communities for access to capital, and they're not able to get it easily from traditional institutions like banks. But for women in PPRT communities like Hana, a financial boost as small as 2,000 ringgit isn't just about her business. It's actually also about survival. Cabaran masa bekerja dulu dengan sekarang yang ke anak buat kerja sendiri memang cukup berbeza ya masa bekerja dulu memang ya dapat kerja kita nampak happy tapi kita di belakang ingat juga ada tiga orang anak kan macam ala kesannya anak aku terabai duduk di kawasan B40 ni cabaran dia banyak environment untuk anak-anak kurang selesa lah tak berapa bagus lepas tu sentiasa bergaduh juga Lepas tu, uh, yang paling cabaran paling kuat duduk di kawasan PPR ni untuk anak remaja saya adalah, ialah terutama ke anak cakap ada yang orang isap uh, apa macam dah headache kan dekat sini boleh nampak dekat bawah. So ke anak ingat eh why not aku berhenti je lah buat buat kraf ni pun pendapatan dia okay. Maknanya masa saya bekerja dulu dengan saya bekerja sendiri sekarang ni, sekarang ni lebih baik. And so that's where Women of Will comes in. They disperse small loans of about 2,000 ringgit to women who they've identified as being business savvy. These women are working women. Some of them might be single mothers, 
and some others might have husbands who may have a disability or are also earning low incomes which aren't enough to sustain their families. They have to repay the loans they receive in about 18 months. Repayments are interest-free, but there are some requirements involved. Participants like Hana have to take classes like online marketing and 101s on how to manage their business and personal finances. Uh, sekarang ni bila dah masuk uh, woman of the will NGO ni bawa kita masuk jadi sebahagian daripada dia punya apa ahli-ahli dia kawan-kawan dia sahabat dia ajar kita macam mana buat apa pen page uh, yang untuk berniaga tu kan uh, Facebook pen page dia ajar kita macam mana account lah yang paling penting dia uh, kita punya apa business coaching uh, dia follow kita macam tu lah untuk lebih maju lagi ke depan lah. Microfinance is uh, about independence. It's about giving a woman the opportunity to actually do what she can for herself and providing the support in terms of business entrepreneurship development, teaching her, you know, uh, profit and loss, teaching her how to maintain a separate domestic account and a separate business account is critical. When you are able to um, raise her level of confidence, you know, um, she's the brick of the family and she will be able to positively impact you know, her children, um, other families as well as the community. So when you are able to help a woman look after herself, the woman will then be able to look after her children well and that's really important. That was Women of Will President Go Swetlan again. So it seems like microfinance could be the key to helping individuals achieve social mobility and improve their lives in a way that is empowering and gives them dignity. But, and you probably saw this coming, it's also quite controversial. After the break... There are a lot of studies out there that can show, okay, on average, um, borrowers in our sample have doubled their income. The obvious question to ask then is, okay, so what about the rest? What about the remaining poorest of the poor in that society? Where microfinance has fallen short. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. So we've established that microfinance is a highly promising concept. But critics say it's just that and nothing more. At best, however, this would create societies and communities where everyone is trying to sell something to others who also don't have money, to other people, poor people in the community. This is Frithjof Arp. He's been studying microfinance for years, specifically with regards to informal and predatory lending. He has even done fieldwork in Malaysia. And microfinance initiatives do not create that employment because employment typically comes from small and medium-sized companies and, of course, very large companies that create jobs for people. And he's right. According to the World Bank, as of 2016, 97% of business establishments in Malaysia are small and medium enterprises, and they contribute over a third of the country's GDP. What Frithjof was getting at there was that a growing economy relies on small companies that scale, graduate into bigger companies that employ others, move up the value chain and create more value for society. Without that growth, an economy stalls. So the criticism here is that microfinance doesn't create meaningful growth for the economy. 
Yet we have plenty of large microfinance players here. And many of them are government-backed. Remember Mara, Takun, Amanah, Ikhtiar. But Fritjof thinks there are too many of them and that they are not well-coordinated. Well, in Malaysia, what is quite staggering is the enormous number that our research has found, uh, the enormous number of government-supported initiatives. And between the different ministries, there is insufficient coordination of these multiple activities. There is insufficient data exchange and many politicians and managers, civil servants under these ministries uh, just basically set up or have set up since the 80s new schemes based on the assumption that lending out money is a good thing. In his view, it has come to the point where it's difficult to properly say whether this is poor coordination or just plain mismanagement. Because in some cases, loans are just not repaid. Fritjof says many organizations have experienced what he calls mission drifts, where loans were never collected and were effectively handed out as grants. After all, these borrowers were considered high risk in the first place. And in other cases, the loans never even went to the people who really needed it. Our research shows that uh, many recipients are not the poorest of the poor. In fact, many of them are not even poor. Um, In our research in the state of Penang in Malaysia, um, we found again and again that Uh, the wrong people received loans. One example was we drove up to the address of a borrower and we found that the business address as well as private address of that borrower was in a fairly wealthy neighborhood and that uh, occupant of the building had received a microfinance loan. The occupant had borrowed 5,000 ringgit supposedly to operate a bakery and there was no bakery anywhere near there. So we've experienced similar um, situations again and again when interviewing actual borrowers. Basically, the idea I get from speaking to Fritjof is that the institutions that run microfinance programs in Malaysia have gotten a bit unwieldy. They're not very coordinated and perhaps mismanaged. But there's another reason Fritjof is skeptical of microfinance ever working in Malaysia, and that's because of the lack of financial literacy. When interviewing borrowers, even when interviewing the frontline loan officers of government initiatives, it becomes clear that there is a lack of financial literacy among the average Malaysian. Very often, the distinction between consumptive and productive behavior is not clear. The calculation of interest rates is not clear to many borrowers, in some cases, even lending offices, which is quite shocking. And when people are not equipped with adequate financial education, that's how they sometimes end up in situations with loans they either struggle or fail to repay. So that brings us back to Hana and Women of Will and how they do things. 
Women of Will really drives home the concept of financial literacy. In some cases, they've taught women to factor in costs they hadn't even considered, like labor and electricity. And look, breaking out of poverty is really tough. It takes one incident, one sick family member, one road accident for someone to struggle to repay their loans. But what financial education tries to do is give people the tools so that they can avoid getting into such tight situations as much as possible. Both Hana and Swetlan see it as an important component of the program. Karena masuk Women of the Wheel ni, selain daripada business coaching, dia bagi kita dana. Uh, dana ni bukan dia bagi percuma ya. Dia tengok kita boleh tak uh, apa? Macam orang putih katalah, running kita punya business walaupun kecil-kecil kan. Uh, kita kena bayar balik. Sebab tu dia follow up kita, dia ada business coaching tu, dia ajar kita macam mana. So uh, dana yang dia bagi pinjam dekat kita tu, kita kena bayar balik dalam bulanan lah. Dan bayaran dia pun taklah membebankan kita. Maknanya uh, kita pinjam, dia bagi kita dana, dia suruh kita berniaga dan kita bayar balik dekat dia. Uh, macam itulah. Tapi tidaklah membebankan sebab kawan-kawan yang lain pun ada yang macam dia pending sebulan, dua bulan dia woman of the wheel ni dia tak push macam yang lain kadang oh sampai bergaduh juga kan minta balik kau bila nak bayar bila nak bayar kan yang ini ada juga uh, yang dua bulan, tiga bulan uh, pending bayaran just kita bagi tahu je kita inform bulan ni kita ada uh, macam uh, ada hal ke ataupun kita uh, pembelian ni lebih tak masuk lagi uh, jualan dia woman of the world ni dia tak bagi kita stres tapi dia disiplinkan kita untuk setiap bulan tu bayaran tu on time it is the idea that this is something she's doing for herself independently it is not a handout it's not a giveaway but uh, it is a loan which she's responsible for. And the loan itself is not sufficient. It has to be combined with education and skills training. And that's critical. To be fair, they're not the only microfinance organization that incorporates personal finance and literacy in Malaysia. But what Hana said is important. She says, although they require payments for the loans, the officers treat borrowers kindly and are understanding of their needs. That's a stark comparison to some lenders who end up pushing borrowers deeper into poverty by punishing those who fail to meet repayment deadlines. Still, maybe it's true that microfinance doesn't help the poorest of the poor. Maybe it's helped some people grow their incomes. But as Frithyoff said earlier, it hasn't helped end poverty at large. Isolated individuals have clearly lifted themselves out of poverty. But it has not ended poverty in societies. It has not created more prosperous economies. And maybe we have to stop expecting it to be this magical cure-all that it was originally hoped to be. Because without proper government reforms and structural changes, it's really difficult to help people break out of the poverty cycle. At the end of the day, what sticks with me is this. If done correctly... Microfinance at least does something. It would at least help some families. And how do you quantify how much it means when you make someone feel empowered, when you give them hope? Allahu Akbar, harapan saya sungguh besar, Cik Diana. Saya kalau boleh satu je, saya nak pergi umrah. Anak saya dapat pendidikan yang baik. 
saya nak pindah dari kawasan ni saya nak kehidupan lebih baiklah dapat buka kedai sendiri tu harapan saya paling besar macam saya kan jaga anak yang istimewa kan saya tak nak duduk kawasan lagi saya nak benda yang bantu saya untuk ke depan dan saya nak ada website sendiri itu yang penting itulah dia harapan saya sungguh-sungguh I'm Diana Mustak you've been listening to Spotlight This episode was produced by me with special thanks to Rahma Pauzi and Lo Choi. Tune in to Spotlight for more shows like this. Tuesdays at 9:30 a.m. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin followed by Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.